Right, and welcome back, and happy Friday, everyone. I'm your host, Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm, and I'm thrilled to be here with another exciting episode of Get Your Tech On today. We have another great guest with us back again is Ron Rannick, who will be the main presenter of our topic, which is putting the decibel to work. As many of you know, the decibel is a fundamental unit of measurement in a world of telecommunication and is used to express a lot of different things such as gain, loss, signal-to-noise ratio, MER, a lot of different things. And Ron's going to guide us through the many applications of the decibel, including some of these topics that we've talked about. Um, so get ready to dive into the world of telecommunications as we explore the many uses of the decibel. I'm going to introduce our guest speaker today, Ron Rannick. Ron's an industry veteran with over 50 years of experience, having worked as a cable operator, as a vendor. He's a fellow member of the SCTE, co-founder, the assistant board member of the organization's Rocky Mountain chapter. He's been inducted to the Society's Hall of Fame, lots and lots of accolades. Please do check out his full bio in the description below if you're watching the video. Um, he's just, he's done a lot in the industry, so a lot, a lot in his background, so be sure to check out that bio. And if you're watching, um, please click the subscription, click the like bell, and click that share button. Um, you know, the reason we do these shows is to get out a lot of good technical information, so share this video with, um, you know, some of your colleagues out there in the industry who may get some, inf or get some uh, good information um, on Decibel and other topics that we're talking about. So uh, let me bring in Ron. Ron, welcome back. So good to have you here. How are you doing? Hey, happy Friday, Brady, and thanks for the kind words. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today to continue sharing some of the back-to-basics material that uh, we've covered over the last few get-togethers. And, and as you noted, today's topic is, uh, is all about the Decibel. Um, it's a bit of an expansion on some of the fundamentals that we've talked about in the last two sessions. So I think uh, this will help to clarify a lot of concepts that are related to good old DB or not DB. That is the question. Me. So true. Quick. So true. And I, and I, you know, I think Ron, we were, um, you and I were together a couple weeks ago at uh, Cable Labs, and I thought it was just so perfect how I was. Um, I was in the middle of a, a, a some conversation, and I'm talking about uh, plus or minus dB, and you're like Brady, it's not dB, it's dBmV. <laughs> so, uh, you know, or vice, versa. or vice versa. I can't remember, but either way, I use dB in the wrong context. So I, I think it's it's amazing. You know, I, I I've I've been doing this for long. You know, well, I've been doing this for long enough that I should know how to use a DB and how to use a DBMV, but I still get it wrong. So I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about the Mighty Decibel today. And, uh, you know, I'd like to ask our listeners to go ahead and drop comments in the, in the chat box if you have uh, any questions to ask along the way, because even the best of us still get things wrong. <laughs> so with that... And, and it's so easy. We, we get into habits with uh, some of the lingo and terminology of the industry. And it's, you know, it's easy to slip into that and, and uh, forget. <laughs> Obviously it is. I do it. I do it myself too frequently. And on the entire screen here and I'll share this. And Outstanding. So we get it started get there. 
and that should be working. We have your uh, presentation up, Ron. It looks let great. Let me drag this little thing over to the lower right here. All right. Putting the decibel to work. That's what this is all about today. Um, there's a, I think you'll find a lot of good information in, in the presentation. Um, make sure that there we go. So let's start with a definition. So a little bit of, little bit of a tutorial here. Uh, pretend we're taking this from a dictionary. The, the decibel is a logarithmic based expression of the ratio between two values of a physical quantity, typically power or intensity. Now, for those of us in the cable industry, it's usually power. Um, and, and then we can extrapolate that to uh, some other, other parameters using the appropriate mathematical conversions. Uh, but anyway, the decibel provides an efficient way to express ratios which span one or more powers of the logarithmic base, usually base 10. Uh, so mathematically, the ratio of two power levels, and we'll call them P1 and P2, in, in decibels is dB equals 10 times the base 10 logarithm of P1 divided by P2. And we talked about this in our very first uh, uh, video session, uh, gosh, a few months back, that, that was a, a primer about the decibel. But it's good, I think, to do a refresh on this. So for an overview of that, if you missed the video or would like to go through it again just as a refresher, here's a link to the YouTube video that uh, is a recording of that presentation from uh, from a few months back. But it's uh, if you if this is your first time uh, being exposed to the concept of the decibel and you didn't happen to tune into our earlier presentations, I would encourage you to go back and and take a look at the YouTube video that's uh, referenced here on the screen. And I'll also put a link in the in the top, Ron. So once it's done processing, there'll be a link that people can click on. Great. All right, well, let's, uh, th this will be a familiar table uh, to most of you. This, uh, this, is, this table was used in a previous presentation, but I think it, it helps to highlight the usage of the decibel versus DBMV, which is one that we're, I think, all used to. Um, but if we, if we think about the decibel, and Brady noted it a few minutes ago, you can use uh, the decibel, or dB, to, to express things like gain, loss or attenuation, signal-to-noise ratio, carrier-to-noise ratio, modulation-error ratio, and it is modulation-error ratio, not rate, uh, return loss, nothing to do with the attenuation in the upstream path, but actually a, a measure of, uh, of an impedance mismatch, noise-power ratio, and things like carrier-to-distortion ratios, such as carrier-to-composite triple beat, carrier-to-composite second order, carrier-to-cross-modulation, and, and uh, even common path distortion. When we append a reference to the decibel, such as millivolt, and uh, that gives us decibel millivolt or dBmV, then we can use that for, for signal level. That's it. You can't use dB by itself for signal level, as we discussed in the last session on signal level. And I've got an asterisk on dBmV up here. There are some other examples of absolute values that uh, include the decibel microvolt, which is commonly used in Europe instead of uh, dBmV. The decibel milliwatt, which many of you may use in uh, characterizing your optical fiber links. It's also used in, in telecommunications uh, going beyond the world of optical fiber. Decibel watt, uh, you find that probably more commonly used in satellite communications. Decibel volt and decibel microvolt per meter um, is another way to characterize uh, field strength in signal leakage measurements. So let's take a look at some of these. Um, and of course, I'm starting out with the, uh, you know, the teacher's version here. So we have a definition. Um, then I'll show you an example of how we apply this. So let's start with gain. And this is something that we express um, using decibels. 
So by definition, gain is an increase in the power of a signal or signals. It's usually measured in decibels. And if we express it mathematically, and this first application we generally don't use much in the cable industry, but it's, it's I think, helpful to understand the concept. So gain in dB equals 10 times the base 10 logarithm of output power, P out, divided by input power, or Pn, where g dB is gain in decibels, P out is output power in watts, and Pn is input power in watts. And it's important here, the P out is greater than Pn. And when that happens, of course, we have gain. Now, what's probably more common to most of us is when signal power is stated in dBmV, then g dB equals P out in dBmV minus Pn in dBmV. And uh, I think a couple examples will help to clarify that. So um, for those of you in the audience who might be ham radio operators, you probably know that in the United States, the FCC allows ham radio operators, at least most ham radio operators, depends on license class and frequency usage, um, but a maximum output power of up to 1,500 watts, which is quite a bit. So let's use an example here where you have a an amplifier of some kind. We don't know the gain, but we know that the input power to that that gain stage or gain device is 100 watts. The output power is 1,500 watts. So how do we calculate the gain of the amplifier? Well, we use that first formula in the definition up above. So we'll, in this case, we'll take GDB equals 10 times the base 10 logarithm of 1,500 watts, the output power, divided by the input power, or 100 watts. And we go through the calculation, 1,500 divided by 100 equals 15. And we take the base 10 logarithm of 15, that gives us 1.18. You calculate that with a, just a scientific calculator. Multiply that by 10. And the gain of this unknown amplifier here is 11.76 dB. So that's one example of uh, calculating gain. One that's going to be more familiar to most of us is, would be the second one that I've highlighted in yellow here. And in this case, it's GDB equals P out in dBmV minus P in which is also in dBmV. So here we have a, an amplifier stage. Gain is unknown. The input signal level is 20 dBmV, or input power, and that would be per channel power. And the output per channel power is 40 dBmV. What's the gain? Well, this one's pretty easy to calculate. You take 40 dBmV minus 20 dBmV. Now, you first think you might think, oh, well, the gain is 20 dBmV, right? 40 minus 20? No, it's just dB. Um, in this case, the difference between the output power and the input power um, is in dB, not dBmV. So we can't, we can't have that difference as an absolute value. It's a ratio or a relative value. So the difference is dB. Now let's go the other direction, loss or attenuation. So the definition is a decrease in the power of a signal or signals, usually measured in decibels. Expressed mathematically, LdB is 10 times the base 10 logarithm of Pn divided by P out, where LdB is loss in decibels, Pn is input power in watts, and P out is output power in watts, and then P out is less than Pn. And then the one we're more familiar with is when signal level or signal power is stated in dBmV, and LdB is Pn in dBmV minus P out in dBmV. So let's go through a couple examples that, that will help to clarify this. So let's we'll start with the watt version. Um, watts up. 
Uh, so the input power is 25 watts. We've got some kind of loss here. Maybe it's an inline attenuator or something else. And the output power is 8 watts. What is the loss in decibels? So we take that formula, the first formula, from the definition. So LDB um, equals 10 times the base 10 logarithm of the input power, 25 watts, divided by the output power, or 8 watts. And that... Uh, that ratio, that 25 divided by 8, is 3.13. And we take the base 10 logarithm of 3.13 on our scientific calculator. That gives us 0 0.49. Multiply that by 10. And the answer is, let me scoot this over just a wee bit, wee bit more, is 4.95 dB. So this loss in this example is just under 5 dB, and that will reduce our input a power of 25 watts to an output of 8 watts. So, Ron, quick question for you. What is the difference between uh, negative gain and positive loss? So, like, you know, if we had a, a gain of minus 10, um, wouldn't that be equivalent to a loss of plus 10 dB? Well, and yeah, you, you could say that it is, and I would call those more mathematical constructs or, or uh, you know, playing around with the numbers. We typically don't state gain and loss. And I know some people do, but we shouldn't state gain and loss necessarily with a negative number in front of it. Um, yeah, some people might do that and say that the loss is, is a negative value, but really it's stated as a positive value the vast majority of the time. Sometimes you may see a negative number, which could indicate that it is in fact gain rather than loss um, or vice versa. Sorry, a negative gain, um, which would be really loss. Um, but I don't think that's too common, and I, frankly, I think it can cause confusion. But it's good to point that out, and that's a good question, Brady. And I, I also wanted to say um, hi to uh, Pete Whitman. Uh, hey, Peter, it's been a long time since we chatted um, in the chat room. He's saying uh, dB microvolts because we, Europe and Germany, don't like negative numbers in our power levels. Um, so. Just giving a comment out there. Shout out to Peter Whitman in the chat room. Um, so thanks, yes. thanks for the message there, Peter. And that was noted in, in on that one slide a while back that had the table on it. And with the asterisk down in the bottom, I did note that uh, dB microvolts is used in Europe and elsewhere instead of dB millivolt. Um, and whether it's because they don't like negative numbers, uh, you know, maybe. But yes, it's, and there's a 60 dB difference for those of you who are curious about that. Yeah between dBmV, a, a, a signal level in dBmV and a signal level in dBmuV. And that's mu as in the symbol for micro. Okay. Now let's look at uh, an example that we're probably more used to. So when a signal level is, is stated in dBmV, then loss in dB is, is equal to the, the input power in dBmV minus the output power in dBmV. So here's a good example. Uh, we've got an input signal level of 5 dBmV, um, some amount of loss. We don't know what the loss is. The output is two signal levels 2 dBmV. What is the loss in dB? So in this case, it's simple subtraction, 5 dBmV, the input signal level, minus uh, 2 dBmV, the output signal level, and the difference is 3 dB. And once again, we wouldn't say that the difference is 3 dBmV. That would be incorrect. It is 3 decibels, or 3 dB. Remember, we're talking about ratios here with the world of the decibel. And that, that 3 dB, that's an important number, right? That's, you know, we talk about 3 dB, that's uh, twice the power, typically. 
It is. And I later on, I, I've got some decibel shortcuts and I talk about that. But that's a great point. And you think of uh, you know, an inline attenuator that's, uh, that loses 3 dB or a two-way splitter that's a bit over 3 dB of, of, of insertion loss. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, but that's, that's half the power. So you're losing half the power. Yeah, and that's that was something I was always taught. It's like when you see three dB, that you know you're you're losing half the power, or you know if it's if it's gain, you're in this case it's loss, so we're losing half the power. But if it's gain, you're gaining twice as much power. Um, so that's I right. kind of I was always trained that that you know you see that three dB, that's that's kind of a significant. Uh, not it's not a trivial amount of power, uh, either in yeah. loss or in gain. And you're right. It's it seems like uh, doesn't you know, what well, gee only three dB or actually to be technically correct three point zero one dB. Uh, it doesn't seem like that much. But and in decibels, you're right. But it is half power. So if if this were a if we were measuring power in watts in this example, and and the loss is three dB. If the input power were ten thousand watts, we had three dB of loss. The output power would be five thousand watts. If the input power is is five watts, the output power with three dB of loss would be two and a two and a half watts. And you say, well, you know, you mean this applies to all these different values of watt watt wattage? Yes, 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 yes. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what did I say? Exactly. Uh, and that and and I think it just points out very clearly, Brady, what you just noted that three dB of loss is a substantial loss. It's half yep. the power. Um, that's a bunch. Quite a bit. All right. Now let's talk about one that, that has been known to cause confusion. Uh, and this is the topic of return loss. Uh, as I noted a little bit earlier, return loss is not a measure of the attenuation in the upstream spectrum. Now, some people might think that when they see the word return loss, because we're used to calling our up, upstream spectrum the return path. But in this case, return loss is a measure uh, used to characterize uh, the severity of an impedance mismatch or the, the quality of an impedance match. Um, so the definition of return loss is the ratio in decibels of the power incident upon an impedance discontinuity or mismatch to the power reflected from that impedance discontinuity. And this is an important note. When reflected power is less than incident power, which is what it almost always is, there's a there is an oddball exception to that in the world of microwave communications, but we won't go there because it doesn't apply to our cable networks. Uh, but anyway, when reflected power is lo is less than incident power, then return loss is stated as a positive number. You may look in some references and see that return loss is stated as a negative number. And when it's done like that, it's wrong. Somebody got it wrong, and they they're confusing the issue, and they don't have it. Uh, you don't have it done correctly. But here's a, a simple example on this slide. And it shows an incident power of 30 dBmV hitting an impedance mismatch. Um, now, that impedance mismatch might be a dent in the cable. Now, what that means, of course, is that some of the incident power is reflected back toward the source. And then the rest of it passes through the impedance mismatch and continues on to wherever, unless that this happens to be a, a termination at the end of line. But in this example, the incident power is 30 dBmV, and the reflected power from that impedance mismatch, let's call it a ding in the cable or something, let's say it's 12 dBmV. Then the return loss in this example is the difference between the incident power and the reflected power. So 30 dBmV minus 12 dBmV equals 18 dB. Um, that's, and that note that that's a positive number. 
Now, you'll notice something else here. I show the transmitted power, that is the power that continued through the impedance mismatch, because the, the, the impedance mismatch in this case was not severe enough that it reflected 100% of the power. It just, it just reflected some of it. So in this case, the transmitted power is 29.931 dBmV. You say, how do you figure that out from the numbers here? And I've got an asterisk that goes down to a footnote at the bottom of the slide. And an impedance mismatch will have a characteristic called mismatch loss or reflection loss. Uh, because if you think about it, if some of the incident power is reflected back toward the source, that means that not all of the incident power is available to continue passing through the device or the impedance mismatch. In this example, the, the mismatch loss or reflection loss is pretty small. It's 0 0.069 dB. It's not very much, so you subtract that 0 0.069 dB from our incident power, and that gives you the transmitted power here. And you might wonder, well, how do you figure that out? Now, I'm not going to go through all the math, but I will explain a, a couple ways you can do it. One is you can look in the SCTE math document, the operational practice, and there are some formulas in there that, that will show you how to calculate that. But here is a way you can do it, and it's a bit more complicated, a little clunky, if you will. Um, what you would first do is convert the incident power in dBmV to power in watts. That's a linear value, so you convert it to the linear value in watts. The reflected power, 12 dBmV, you convert that to a linear value, also in watts. So you want the same units of watts. Then you subtract the, the reflected power in watts from the incident power in watts, and you get the so-called transmitted power in watts. Then you convert that back to dBmV. And if you did that, this is what you would come up with. Then you subtract this transmitted power from the incident power to come up with the mismatch loss or reflection loss, which in this case is way less than a dB. It's, in fact, it's less than a tenth of a dB. Uh, but that's, that's what that's all about. Uh, but the math document, the, the SCTE 270-2021, uh, does include a discussion about that and how to calculate it. But it's something that's important to know. So what it tells you is... Um, not only can a ding in the cable cause an impedance mismatch and cause some of the incident power to be reflected back toward the source, it can also cause a, depending on the severity of that impedance mismatch, a, a, a tiny or even a moderate amount of signal attenuation or signal loss because of the impedance mismatch. And Ryan, I mean, that was a, a great overview of return loss, but I think we could probably spend a whole hour talking about return loss. Um, you know, if you're a technician that's uh, working in a field or someone that's even looking at buying amplifiers or any type of line equipment, those vendor spec sheets all come with return loss measurements on them. And yes. not all equipment is made the same. No, they're not all, they don't have all the same return loss um, specifications on it. But that's an important part of vendor equipment. It's an important part of troubleshooting plants. Um, there's a lot of like proactive and reactive uh, test equipment that allows you to look at how return loss or uh, micro-reflections have maybe impedance mismatches. Sorry, Ron, I know you correct me there. We'll have degraded <laughs> return loss in the plant. Um, so all of these factors play into how well the plant performs. And you know, looking at return loss and understanding how that plays in a plant is, is really, really important. But I think we could go really, really deep on that maybe in a later episode. Um, and, and return loss is important. I did write an article about return loss for Broadband Library a few years ago. If you go to their website, broadbandlibrary.com, um, you can dig through my articles on there and, and go back and find that a, a link to that. 
yeah. article. Highly recommend wow. it because I think return loss is something It's just, it's not understood by so many people. Even myself, Ron, as we were talking before the show, I was one of the people that used to say return loss as a negative number because that, that was how I was trained to do it. So, um, yeah. so many aspects of return loss are not understood. It's a fun one. Um, we tend to think of our cable networks as having a, the nominal impedance of 75 ohms. The key is the word nominal in front of 75 yes. ohms. Uh, it's impossible to have the impedance exactly 75 ohms at all frequencies on all devices. You, you just can't do it. We don't live in an um, ideal world. No, we don't. Um, you know, the the, uh, the taps and splitters and things that we that we splice into the network typically have return loss numbers you know, in the input and output connector somewhere around 18 dB, like the example I used here, um, maybe up to 20 dB, but somewhere around that, that range. Hardline connectors, usually better than 30 dB. Yeah. Amplifiers, 18 to 20 dB, give or take. Um, but yes, you're right. And for, for people that are curious about that, and it is important to know, check the manufacturer's spec sheets. They do publish those numbers. And they use uh, sophisticated test equipment to measure the actual return loss so that they can put that in the spec sheets. Indeed. All right. And continuing on, isolation. Now, this is an interesting one. Um, this is the difference in decibels between RF power injected into one port of a device, let's say a, um, a splitter, and another port of the same device, maybe another port on that splitter. Uh, a common measure is output port-to-port -port isolation of a, a device such as a splitter or tap. Um, now, it's an important um, to note here that during an isolation measurement, all unused ports on the device are terminated during the measurement. So this is typically something you do on the test bench or in the lab. Um, so here's a graphic that, that highlights that. So this shows a schematic diagram of a two-way splitter. You'll note that the input port or port one is terminated with a 75-ohm impedance terminator. And then the isolation measurement is, is performed between um, one output port and the other output port. And uh, that gives us a good indication of, of the performance of that splitter under ideal conditions. Um, what you'll find is that isolation on a device such as a splitter is closely related to the impedance present at the input port. So uh, if you want to know what the actual isolation of the splitter is under ideal conditions, you terminate that input port with a with a proper 75-ohm impedance lab-grade terminator generally. But in the real world, the impedance is probably going to be uh, not quite 75 ohms, so you may find that, that the practical isolation in the field is a bit less than what the, the spec isolation is. So here's an example with a two-way splitter. Put that terminator on the input port, and let's say you inject 30 dBmV uh, into one port, and then you measure 5 dBmV on the other port. What's the isolation? Well, it's simply 30 dBmV the signal level injected here, minus 5 dBmV, the signal level you inject over here. And in this case, the isolation is 25 dB. And you can do the same thing on, on uh, tap ports um, or tap spigots on a, on a tap. You can measure a directional coupler's isolation from the tap port to, say, the output port. Uh, generally, when we look at um, input port to, out to the tap port, uh, technically it's a type of isolation, but we usually call that insertion loss or, or tap loss. Now, if we unterminate that, that isolation is no longer going to be 25 dB, correct? That's Oh, no, it might be about 6. Yeah, so that's, that's the importance of terminating things. Um, yeah. and, and just real quickly, Ron, um, Peter, um, oh, just 
get the right button here. Sorry, I'm running because I'm on Peter Whitman. Um, thanks for another question, Peter. Said, so from my understanding, high return loss values are important for RF components, especially in the hub, to avoid bad frequency response ripple in the first place where the signal creation takes place. Um, Ron, your comments on that? He's absolutely right. And I would argue that that it, it's important everywhere. Yes, it's extremely important in the head end. Um, you want good isolation. You want good impedance matches. Uh, all those parameters are critical in head ends and hub sites. But they're equally important in the field. And um, it's not unusual for um, somebody to have a splitter on the side of the house. And let's say an installer goes to the house to install an extra outlet. It doesn't have any two-way splitters in the truck, so puts in a four-way splitter. And... Um, connects up, say, two outlets to that four-way splitter and then leaves the other two output ports unterminated. And that can degrade the isolation a little bit, but it also can re- can uh, um, can result in a, in a frequency response impairment. So you might see a little bit of amplitude ripple across the spectrum. And it, it depends um, um, on a number of things. But yes, I think it's important to to have high isolation, high return loss numbers on all these things that we use in our cable networks. And as we expand our operating uh, frequency range to as high as 1.8 gigahertz, I think operators are going to find that that's all the more important. Yeah. And, and with on that, um, Peter, if, you, if you've not seen the SCTE 280 document on understanding full band capture, um, there's, that's a, such a great document because it covers a lot of the issues that can happen with um, poor isolation, poor grounding, poor return loss, and the impacts that that will have, particularly on your downstream which you'll see in full band capture signals. So cannot recommend that document enough. Again, that's SCTE-280. It covers all the issues you see in full band capture and the impacts that it has on your downstream channel lineup. Yeah, that's a great document. Uh, Just for those of you who uh, like that kind of information, the the working group that created that particular document is now working on one that's uh, for the upstream. So that'll, that'll be available in the next few months. And local trees, glad to have you back on the, on the show watching. Welcome. All right, carrier to noise ratio. Now, after the last um, session, Brady and I talked about making carrier to noise ratio the topic of this presentation, and and we started to promote it as such. And I thought I got to thinking, you know, there's it probably would be helpful to do a little bit more on uh, putting the decibel to work. So uh, we changed it up a little bit. Carrier to noise ratio is going to be the next presentation that we do live here um, and then we'll do a deep dive into carrier to noise ratio and then we'll follow that up with a presentation on on carrier to distortion ratio but uh, carrier to noise ratio is a common metric that we use in our cable networks and by definition it's the ratio of carrier power or signal power to the thermal noise power in a generally in a specified bandwidth as measured on an rf spectrum analyzer or similar equipment um, note that noise can also refer to other types of noise besides thermal noise, such as relative intensity noise, shot noise, and so on, but does not refer to transient noise. And it, when we measure carrier noise ratio, we typically measure the amplitude of the carrier, as you see in the graphic on the lower left of the slide here. And in this case, it says 27 dBmV. And then we measure the noise level, and it says four, minus 14 dBmV. The difference between the two is 41 dB, so that's the carrier noise ratio. But... It's really, really important to note that a couple things have to be considered. First of all, as noted in the definition, um, the the thermal noise is typically in a specified bandwidth. Um, So the noise floor measurement may have to be corrected to that bandwidth because typically in a spectrum analyzer, you may have 
the uh, test equipment resolution bandwidth set to something like 100 kilohertz or 300 kilohertz. And what that means is the noise is being measured in that bandwidth, let's say 300 kilohertz. Um, and that's not going to give you an accurate carrier-to-noise ratio if you have to specify the noise power in a certain bandwidth. And an example uh, that's actually spelled out in the FCC rules for U.S. cable systems is when you are measuring the carrier-to-noise ratio of an analog NTSC TV channel, uh, the noise bandwidth is 4 megahertz. Uh, for Europe, uh, which uses PAL for, for uh, analog television, they have a different noise power bandwidth. And it's up around, if I remember right, 5 megahertz, five, a little over 5 megahertz. Um, so it's important that you be that you understand that, and then you have to correct the noise measurement in the measured bandwidth, which might be at, say, 300 kilohertz uh, measurement bandwidth. You have to convert that to 4 megahertz. So here's an example. Let's say that we're measuring an analog visual carrier for an NTSC TV signal. So we know that the FCC says, I want to know the, the noise power in a 4 megahertz bandwidth. So you take 4 million, which is 4 megahertz, so this would be 4 million hertz, and let's say the spectrum analyzer resolution bandwidth is 300 kilohertz or 300,000 hertz. Um, we, uh, we do the math, and it's the correction factor is 10 times the base 10 logarithm of 4 million divided by 300,000. And that gives us 11.25 dB. So that's the correction factor. You have to add to the noise measurement in the 300 kilohertz RBW of the test equipment. So in this example, the graphic shows that the noise floor level measured in a 300 kilohertz bandwidth, resolution bandwidth, is minus 14 dBmV. But to get that corrected noise power in a 4 megahertz bandwidth, we have to add 11 and a quarter dB to minus 14 dBmV. So minus 14 dBmV plus 11 and a quarter dB equals minus 2.75 dBmV. So that's the corrected noise floor. So that makes the corrected carrier to noise ratio just under 30 dB in this example. Now it looks like it's 41, but because we use a low, a low resolution bandwidth, we had to convert that uh, to come up with the correction factor. So the carrier to noise ratio here is 29.75 dB instead of the indicated 41. Now there's one other Important, important point. Before you measure the carrier-to-noise ratio on an instrument such as a spectrum analyzer, make sure that the displayed noise floor, what you see down here at the bottom of the display, is the cable system's noise, not the test equipment noise. And the way you do that is to temporarily unplug the cable from the input to the spectrum analyzer. If the noise floor does not drop at least 10 dB, you either need to apply a correction factor to the what's called a noise near noise measurement uh, or find a hotter test point so that when you do disconnect the, the test cable from the input to the spectrum analyzer, the, the noise floor drops 10 dB or more. That's what you want. And then uh, because it, when it drops 10 dB, you, you're only off on your noise power measurement. It's, it's less than half a dB, something. So, so you're good enough at that point. Of course, more is even better, but you want it at least 10 dB when, it, when you pull that test cable away from the test equipment. So, Ron, I, I think this slide that you went over is really important for anyone who's trying to make accurate measurements of CNR or any type of other measurements 
whether it's like CTB, CSO, or you know, any digital measurements or anything like that. I myself spent a lot of time in a lab, like you know, doing type you know type of precision measurements, and they were off for a long time till I really understood what you went through, like the correction factor that's there that that you have to do with different resolution bandwidths, and also the noise near noise when when you're trying to make measurements down in a noise floor. Like if you don't take all these things that you went over into a into account. You're always going to get inaccurate and inconsistent measurements. So really nice slide, Ron. Really important information. Um, I also want to just jump to the chat room because we had a couple of things. Um, William asked the tap value. So this goes back when we were talking about terminating taps and stuff. Tap value plays a part, a big part in the amplitude ripple, but in an ideal world, everything would be terminated. And I think we're saying like lower value taps could have a more you know, significant impact on Ripple versus high-value tabs because on high-value tabs, you have greater port-to-port isolation. Yes. Correct, Ron? Yes, that's correct. You've got, you, you have greater insertion loss, of course. So if it's a 26 dB tap, you've got 26 dB of attenuation between the input port of the tap and any of the tap's um, F connectors. Um, and you're right, and then the isolation tends to be higher. And it... I, years ago, some cable operators thought that, as a rule of thumb, if the tap value is 14 dB or lower, always terminate unused ports. If they're higher value taps than that, so 17 and higher, then you don't have to worry about it. And I understand the reasoning behind that argument, but my position on that even back then was, look, if you've got unterminated ports on a tap, regardless of the tap value, terminate them. Just make sure you terminate all unused ports. And then you don't have to worry about, are we supposed to terminate them if they're 11 dB in lower value taps? Is it 14? Is it 17? You know, Because if it, this way, if it's, it doesn't matter, if it's an unterminated port, you terminate it. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, terminate, terminate, terminate. It's a good practice. So thank you, William, for that uh, that great comment question. there good comment and uh local trees melvin hi everyone thanks for joining in the chat room so ron we'll get back into your presentation all right now this the, the example i just talked about is for a an analog tv channel visual carrier but what if you're measuring the carrier to noise ratio of a of a single carrier qualm signal or or an ofdm signal but in the case of an sc qualm signal you don't have to do a noise floor correction, which is really nice because in this case, you're dealing with a noise-like signal um, and system noise. So in this case, you just you can you can eyeball it on a spectrum analyzer and you can see here that the, the difference is about 15 dB. So you could say, all right, the carrier to noise ratio is about 15 dB. Um, in, in many cases with a spectrum analyzer, you might put a marker noise function marker on top of the haystack in the center, note that value and then move it over somewhere onto the noise floor here, note that value and the difference is the carrier noise ratio, but you can really eyeball it pretty easily here. You need to make sure, as before, that the displayed noise floor is the test equipment, is the system noise and not the test equipment noise. In this case, you know, you look at that and say, well, there's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, demodulate a 64 qualm signal or a 256 qualm signal if the CNR is only 15 dB. And indeed, this setup for this screenshot was intentionally configured so that the, the displayed noise floor is the spectrum analyzer noise. And if you disconnect the RF input cable from the spectrum analyzer, noise floor doesn't change on this. So what that says, you got to find a hotter test point. But um, this shows two things. One is you need a hotter test point because that noise floor is, is the test equipment noise. But the other thing is for SC-QAM signals, no, no bandwidth correction needed. All you do is 
uh, measure the height of the haystack, measure the height of the noise, and the difference in dB is your carrier noise ratio. What about carrier to distortion ratio? Well, here we're thinking about the ratio of carrier signal power to dis different types of distortions in the cable network. And uh, some of the examples that, that we're usually interested in, in include composite second order, or CSO, composite triple beat, CTB, and, and composite noise, or CN. Now, here's where things can get a little interesting. Um, in the old days of all analog TV channel carriage on a cable network, the distortions that we were interested in um, were composite triple beat and composite second order. And uh, you'll, I've got some graphics here that represent analog TV channels. So forget about the QAM signals for a second. If you pretend that all we've got is analog TV channels, then we're concerned with composite triple beat, which falls right underneath the visual carrier. So to measure that, you've got to measure the visual carrier turn off the visual carrier, then measure the little hump um, that's, re that's, uh, that's still sitting there, and that's the composite triple beat. And then the composite second order is typically located plus or minus 0.75 megahertz or plus or minus 1.25 megahertz from the visual carrier. And then you measure the amplitude of that to get your CSO or CTB ratios. Uh, when you start adding QAM signals to the cable network, composite triple beat and composite second order don't go away. They just become noise-like distortion signals. So what we get then is, we've first of all, we've got this green line here, which is the thermal noise from the amplifiers and whatnot. The composite intermodulation noise, this reddish line, is the distortion. Uh, it's noise-like distortion, um, composite second order and composite triple beat, uh, produced by the presence of the QAM signals in the network. And then we get what's called composite noise, this purplish line, which is a combination of the thermal noise in the network and the noise-like distortions in the network. So when we measure um, these things in a cable network that's all digital, you can't, by looking at the noise floor, determine, all right, I see composite noise. Is that How much is that is thermal noise and how much is noise-like distortion? You, won't, you wouldn't know unless you shut off all the signals. And then you'd see the composite noise level drop and the, res the remaining noise would be just the thermal noise. But in this case, in an all-digital network, it, we typically measure carrier-to-composite noise, so it would be the, the height of the haystack above the composite noise floor, this purplish line here. But that includes both thermal noise and noise-like distortions. Perfect. So just a couple of uh, questions here, Ron, from the chat room. Let me pull them up. Um, so Melvin says, um, if you have high isolation between ports on a splitter, can you get reflections and then see double picture with analog signals? Um, with high isolation, no, because you want high isolation. Um, if you see double pictures, that usually means uh, it, let's 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 say first there are two places where you could see double pictures, and one might be ghosting caused by an impedance mismatch. And that would show up as double pictures. So it could be a really nasty impedance mismatch. And that would be an indication of poor or low return loss, uh, maybe also low isolation in a splitter, um, and then a nasty impedance mismatch on the other leg. So um, that could indeed cause, uh, with analog channels, a ghosting in the picture that shows up as basically two pictures or more. The other way you can see two pictures um, is if you get uh, ingress on an over-the-air channel. And here, too, you get ghosting, but it's going to be lagging ghosting, that is, trailing edge ghosting, on the channel where the ingress uh, is a problem. So let's say in the old days you had a local over-the-air channel 3 broadcasting an analog TV signal, and you are carrying 
that TV station, that same Channel 3, on Channel 3. And if you have ingress getting in, then the, the Channel 3 signal um, from the over-the-air environment ingresses, and it shows up as a ghost. And depending on where it gets in, it could show up as a leading-edge ghost, too, in front of the incident signal, depending on where it's getting in. Um, typically, the micro-reflection or a, 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 an impedance mismatch will show up as a trailing-edge ghost. But that, But yes, if you've got low isolation, wouldn't be high isolation, that tends to make things better because you want high isolation uh, and you want high return loss, which means a good impedance match. But if those are degraded, yes, you can have amplitude ripple and reflections and, and see ghosting, if you will, on uh, analog TV channels. With uh, digital signals, you don't see really the equivalent of ghosting, but what you would see is a degradation in the MER. Yeah. So that, I mean, that does go to show we still have analog signals out there, which kind of answers William's uh, comment on, I imagine there aren't many cable operators who have analog carriers out there, especially since video service is a slowly dying product with streaming. Um, but yet there, there are definitely cable operators that are still running yes. analog um, out there as, as they're migrating to, to uh, all digital. It's just, um, it's it's tough. Um, it's tough to get rid of analog um, yep. for for some operators. It's you know it's just not cost effective yet. Um, so they're they're still and analog you're right. out there. There, I think some people might be surprised to know that there's still a, a fair number of cable operators that have analog TV signals in their cable networks. Yep, indeed um, they do. It, most, I think it's safe to say most have converted to mostly or all digital, but there's still some that have a significant number of analog TV channels yeah. on their networks. We see them. We see them out there. Yes. Okay, well, I, t I mentioned MER in, this, uh, in the last uh, slide, and um, we deal primarily, I say we, the cable industry, deals primarily with uh, receive modulation error ratio, or RxMER, because uh, technically when, when we're measuring MER um, in a cable modem or in the upstream uh, line card of a CMTS or something, we're measuring receive modulation error ratio. But what is MER? Well, it's the ratio of average signal constellation power to average constellation error power, and it's stated in decibels. Um, a, a good way to think of it is uh, a measure of the spreading of a constellation displays symbol points, and the more spread out they are, the lower the RxMER, and the closer together they are, the higher the RxMER. Now, RxMER is a subset of MER because you can also have transmit MER or TXMER. That's typically a lab-type measurement. But RxMER is the, the MER is measured in a digital receiver after demodulation um, with or without adaptive equalization. So your field meter measures RxMER. Your cable modem or set-top box that reports MER is actually reporting RxMER. The upstream MER in a CMTS upstream line card is RxMER. So if you look at this example on the screen, you can see the constellation display, and it's actually not too bad. The MER, or RxMER more specifically, is a little over 33 dB. So that's not a bad number. Uh, I think some cable operators like to see even better than that now, maybe 35 dB or better. Uh, this next slide shows, a, I think, a good, a good example of um, MER being uh, basically a way to characterize the spreading in the symbol points in the constellation. So on the left, we've got a 16 qualm signal in the upstream uh, with actually pretty good RxMER, in this case, about 27 and a half dB. And on the right, eh, not so good. Note how spread out those uh, constellation points are. In this case, uh, seen better. Yeah, 19 <laughs> dB, not so good. So uh, that's RxMER. And, and who knows, this may be a topic for a, 
presentation someday. Definitely. Do a deep dive. That's a, And it gets a, into a real deep dive because you have to get into digital modulation and some other things. All right. Signal-to-noise ratio. And Brady mentioned this uh, at the beginning of the presentation. But signal-to-noise ratio um, has really a couple definitions from of interest for, from our perspective. One is it's a general measurement of the ratio of signal power to noise power. And the second one is uh, in a specific context. Uh, for those of you who've been in the industry for a long time, we typically have considered signal-to-noise ratio to be a measurement of the ratio of signal power to noise power made at baseband, not at RF, but at baseband, either before modulation, so you do it on a you know, baseband audio or baseband video, or after detection or demodulation in a receiver. So again, at baseband afterwards. Um, so in the, in the cable industry's lingo, uh, SNR has long been accepted to be a pre-modulation or post-detection measurement, that is, when we make uh, on signals such as baseband analog video or audio. And here's an example of a, a graphic that shows noise in the signal. So the darker green line would be the signal, and the lighter green around it would be the noise in the signal. And really what we're after is a measurement of the signal, um, that is the, the, uh, the signal level or signal value of uh, that darker green line to the noise in that signal. And in the world of um, baseband analog video measurements, there is actually a way to make that kind of measurement. Um, there's also a formula that goes with it, just to show you here. 20 times the uh, base 10 logarithm of the nominal luminance value to the RMS value of the noise in that signal. And in this case, and this goes back to the days of analog NTSC, uh, where L nominal, the, the luminance level, has a value of 714 millivolts peak to peak, or 100 IRE units, for those of you who may remember video waveform monitors. And in the world of PAL, instead of 714 millivolts, it's 700 millivolts peak to peak. And in both cases, these luminance values do not include sync. Um, the sync in an NTSC signal that is baseband signal is one volt peak to peak. So it's uh, it's got 714 millivolts of uh, luminance information and the remainder is, is uh, sync or 100 IRE units for the video part of it and 40 IRE units for the sync part of it below the video. But anyway, just mention that for historical reference purposes, and some of the old timers who may be on the call would certainly remember those. Great info. All right. And signal level is one that we talked about in depth in our last session, but I want to mention it again because we can use uh, the decibel to measure or, or to specify signal level. Um, so it's the amplitude of a signal, specifically the RF power of that signal. And signal level in cable networks is expressed in dBMV or if you're in Europe, dB mu V, uh, not dB. Um, and the decibel millivolt and decibel microvolt are both units of power expressed in terms of voltage. So when we measure an analog TV channel's visual carrier, its signal level is actually the peak envelope power of that carrier. And as I noted, we covered that in depth in our last session. So if you haven't seen that, I would encourage you to take a look at that video. And then for an SD-QAM signal, the signal level is its average power, also called digital channel power or digital signal power. Um, and in, in um, most networks, uh, well, those that use 6 megahertz wide signals, the signal level in an OFDM signal, and this goes in the DOCSIS 3.1 spec, and this would apply to Europe as well, but it's the power per 6 megahertz, the average power per 6 megahertz for an OFDM signal. Um, now, I do, I do know that, that European operators like to convert that to, say, 8 megahertz instead of 6 megahertz. 
And then in the upstream, the signal level is referenced to a bandwidth, and this is in OFDMA, is referenced to a power per 1.6 megahertz. But here too, some people like to convert it back to a more familiar 6.4 megahertz bandwidth. And in that case, uh, if you have a, an OFDMA signal level uh, power in 1.6 megahertz, you just add 6 dB to that value to get the power in 6.4 megahertz. Okay, Ron, before we go to the next slide, um, our, our good friend Peter Vittman has asked us a couple of questions that they're just perfectly setting us up for the next slide. The first one, um, so Peter, thank you for the questions. Uh, a question that bothers me since years, what are the CMs really reporting with the DOCS IF SIG Q signal to noise or signal noises? So this is, an, this is a MIB or an OID that you use with SNMP to uh, query cable modems or also CMTSs uh, to get the, uh, the signal quality um, from cable modems and CMTSs. Uh, it's often called MER instead of SNR, but there is a difference between SNR and MER. And then he goes on to say the difference between SNR and MER seems to be around 1 to 1.5 dB. Can you give an example of the error where, the, where this gap is between SNR and <laughs> MER can be higher? Um, so, Ron, years, years ago, take this. Yes, I'll take this. Um, it is RXMER in both cases. Uh, years ago, Bruce Curvin, who he's, he's, he's been retired for several years, he worked for Broadcom. And of course, they're one of the manufacturers of, of silicon that goes in cable modems and other devices. And we had done a um, presentation and we wrote a white paper. This is back in 2006, I think. And we wrote this white paper called uh, um, Carrier to Noise, Signal to Noise, and Modulation Error Ratio. I think that's what it was called. Uh, digital digital measurements, something like that. Really good paper. And um, we were asked that when we did a, an SCTE seminar because some devices were reporting um, an SNR number and an MER number. And uh, we had a block diagram of the um, receiver circuitry, that is the QAM demodulator, in, say, a set-top box or a uh, DOCSIS cable modem. And all those numbers come from the same circuit. And what the correction factor is, um, we were both kind of scratching our heads on that. And uh, But anyway, the, uh, it's all RXMER and it's all derived from a little circuit that's connected to the slicer in the, in the QAM demodulator circuit. So it's, I think what some people are trying to come up with is a carrier-to-noise ratio equivalent um, and an RXMER equivalent. Of course, RXMER can never be greater than carrier-to-noise ratio. But if you go under the hood of how a cable modem works inside the silicon, it's all coming from RXMER. Thanks. Awesome, Ron. I knew, so I know this next slide coming up even gets into that a little bit better. That's why I wanted to get there. Well, it's a few other applications of the decibel. And um, I thought I'd include this one because uh, this, this comes from a, an upstream line card in the CMTS. And yeah, it says upstream SNR, but that's actually upstream RXMER. So just, I just want to note that for people whose equipment might report SNR. And note over here, it also has downstream SNR. Um, Even better. Reported by the cable. <laughs> Guess what? That's RXMER. That's where that comes from. And that paper that Bruce and I wrote years ago, it's, I've, got copy, I've got a copy of it. it used to be on Cisco's website and used to be on Broadcom's website. I don't know if it is anymore, um, but it's a great paper. Um, and it, it goes, it's got a block diagram and it goes through how all this is derived and 
the differences between SNR and RxMER and carotenoids ratio and really good. We had fun with that way back then. Other, other examples include uh, noise power ratio. This is typically done in a laboratory environment. Um, manufacturers often will use this to characterize, well, very commonly to characterize upstream fiber optic links. So they'll, they'll typically include um, a measure of, of um, the upstream transmitter in their nodes with a fiber optic link of a certain number, you know, a certain number of decibels of loss in the optical path and uh, the output of the upstream receiver. And then they do a noise power ratio measurement characterization of that optical link to really determine how linear things are. And, and uh, what you want to do is operate with total input power to the laser that puts you somewhere to the left of the peak here. Uh, that ensures you're not into the clipping threshold way over here and that you're not too low on here where the carrier noise ratio is garbage. So uh, it's a really good tool. It's now starting to be used to characterize amplifiers um, in uh, 1.8 gigahertz operation because just looking at degradations in RxMER doesn't tell the whole picture because we're dealing with a really, really substantially wider operating bandwidth and, and much higher total composite power values than we were in the past. So I think you're going to see more and more application of NPR in the downstream too. Coaxial cable structural return loss has long been a measure of, of uh, coaxial cable performance. Uh, you can't really have a fixed um, return loss number for a piece of coax because that typically applies to a, a point impedance discontinuity. And Coaxial cable structural return loss, or SRL, takes into account repetitive impedance discontinuities throughout the length of the cable. So think of it as return loss versus frequency is one way to, one way to think about it. Uh, a few other applications. Frequency response, for example, is measured in dB peak-to-valley or peak-to-peak. -peak, and there are some examples taken from uh, a full-band capture in the upper left here. Um, there's a sweep frequency response here. We can see some pretty good roll-off. We can see amplitude ripple. So those are all characterized in uh, dB peak-to-peak -peak or peak-to-valley. So a few decibel shortcuts. Uh, if you've got a dB increase or decrease, the power increases or decreases by a factor of 1.26x. And we talked about this next one earlier in the presentation. A 3 dB increase or decrease, and it's actually 3.01 dB, the power increases by or decreases by a factor of 2. Uh, 6 dB, or actually 6.02 dB increase or decrease, we have a 4 uh, four, a 4x power change, either increase or decrease. 10 dB increase or decrease is a, is a power change of 10, either an increase or a decrease. A 20 dB increase or decrease is a power change of 100. A 30 dB increase or decrease is a power change of 1,000. A 60 dB increase or decrease is a power change of a million. Wow, that's so a, a lot. <laughs> yeah, to keep in mind. So you think about it, the difference between the signal level of 0 dBmV and 60 dBmV, that's a power difference of a million. And then um, a plug for uh, the SCTE math document, it's, uh, it's SCTE 270-2021. Uh, the version with the R1 tacked onto it is the latest version, Mathematics of Cable. Look at section 11. It's got common decibel-based calculations, and there is a boatload of formulas and examples in that section of the document. And there's the URL where you can download that document. It's 425 pages of sweet mathematics of cable. And it's got just about everything you can think of when it comes to the mathematics associated with cable. And then wrapping up, remember decibels express the logarithmic ratio of two power levels. And there's the formula. 
It's used in a variety of measurements uh, in cable networks, gain, loss, or attenuation, return loss, isolation, CNR, SNR, character distortion ratio, RxMER, noise power ratio, and, and even signal level, dBmV or dB microvolt. And keep in mind the correct usage of the decibel. So the signal level at the input to the modem increases by 2 dB, not 2 dBmV, going from, say, plus 3 dBmV to plus 5 dBmV. And the RF signal level at the input to a modem is minus 2 dBmV, not minus 2 dB, uh, or the RF signal level at a line extender output is 48 dBmV, not 48 dB. Specified cable modem input signal level range might be 0 dBmV, plus or minus 15 dB. Carrier noise ratio is 35 dB, so some examples there. And with that, we're at the question mark point. Nice. Amazing job, Ron. Thank you so much. Um, oh, you're welcome. Let me hit the uh, stop sharing button here. Yeah. So we got it. We had a, I think we had covered all the questions that were in the chat room. Um, the last one was just from Peter Vittman saying, thanks for the clarification. Great. Thanks for the clarification on that last question he had, Ron. So thank you. Thank you for the chat room for all the great questions. Um, thank you so much, Ron. This was such a great presentation. I think it really, really illustrated the value and the importance of understanding the DB, especially if you're in the cable industry. So I really encourage everyone, again, you know, share this presentation out to your colleagues. Um, a lot of great information presented to Ron. So I hope everyone enjoyed um, the presentation um, from Ron on putting the decibel to work. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Um, so you, you see the content when it comes out. Hit the notification bell. Uh, you'll get notification when we've uploaded um, these videos. So Ron, we do have another episode scheduled for May 12th where you're going to talk about cable-to-noise ratio. Anything you want to mention on that? Well, as I noted earlier, carrier-to-noise ratio was going to be the topic of today's presentation, but uh, you and I had a chat. Said, ah, we, let's, let's beat up on the decibel a little bit more because there's so much there that I think really needs to uh, be covered and make sure that folks have got a good understanding of it. And then we'll dive into carrier-to-noise ratio in our next session. I'm looking forward to that. It should right. be a lot of fun. Great. And, and uh, just a few more comments coming in. So uh, Peter says he also wants to say that the SCTE 270 document is the great summary. It also has potential to become the Bible for cable TV peoples. Uh, it is a great document, Peter. So thank you for endorsing it. Uh, we appreciate your endorsement on that. Um, Peter also says he appreciates the ses session. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Peter. We appreciate you watching as well, as well as everyone else. Uh, Marcos, hello. How the CMTS can increase or decrease latency, jitter, or ping spikes? Um, Marcos, that's that's a big topic. I think that's for another session. We have covered that in some other sessions as well, um, but we'll, we'll probably likely cover that in a future one as well. Um, so... We are at the end. We're at the top of the hour. We've actually gone two minutes over, so um, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thank you again, Ron. And uh, we'll be back in, uh, in, in uh, just a few weeks. Just yeah. a few weeks, yeah. So see everyone soon. Take care and so long. Take care.